welcome to another edition of Reptile Fight Club. We got a great episode today. I'm very excited. Uh, got uh, Ron Saint Pierre on. Pierre on. <laughs> and I put your name in the first out the gate right there. <laughs> but uh, excited to have Ron on. He's uh, I've I've known him for quite a while, and uh, he's done some amazing things in herpetoculture. So um, I'm your host uh, Justin Julander, and with me as always is Mr. Chuck Poland. Yeah. Ron's so awesome. He's the first one introduced, right? He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's That's main right. bill. He's main bill on the show tonight. We, we don't wait to introduce the, the big dogs. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. Up Pulling. front, front row seats, VIP, Ron. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, yeah, I was thanks really, for coming on, dude. Yeah. Really humbled. I was listening to one of Ron's interviews and, and, uh, he, he mentioned our podcast. I'm like, Oh man, that's, that's high praise for sure. So we had to get him on and we had to practice a little bit on other people before we bring on uh, yeah. Mr. St. Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you guys named it after the, a, a movie that is very near and dear to me that uh-huh. is very, uh, I mean, it, that movie pretty much espouses my worldview almost to a T. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, when I heard you guys were doing this, I was like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is a great one of one of the great movies. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but it's been fun. We we enjoy uh, hitting these topics and seeing kind of both sides of, of different issues and things like that. So, yeah. So uh, I don't know. This this week's been kind of crazy with work. We reports going out and stuff. But uh, reptile wise, man, my female blackhead is swelling up nice and huge. Nicely. <laughs> yeah, I think she may either she's ovulating now or she's ovulated and the eggs are getting close to being laid. She usually lays kind of earlier in the season. So I'm really hoping I can get them to go the distance this year. Cause man, they've been a thorn in my side for a while. So I'm excited to see her progressing in the right direction anyway. So yeah, see how it goes. Yeah. I had a, a pair of inlands locked up this year or this week as well. So nice. Is that the, uh, so that's the, uh, the unrelated, the the unrelated Schofield line. The yeah, yeah. The, Schofield, we'll, we'll call them the AAR line, right? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, man. That, Sorry, man. No, no you can no, do that. You, um, you should but, be able to do that. Yeah, these are offspring from that original pairing of the Schofield line and an unrelated male. So nice. Know, they should be really nice looking animals. If, you, know. you remind me and forgive mm-hmm. me. Have you reproduced that? You have you gotten eggs from? from that pairing previously and, and hatched out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it was, it was it lopsided. Is that what it was? Um, originally, yeah, it had quite yeah. a few females. The first, and, the first yeah. one. Yeah. yeah I've got yeah. a bunch of females, only like one or two males. So I, I, I mean, still have that original male as well, but yeah. So the harem problem is not, not the worst one to have. Yeah, that's for sure. You could have a lot worse problems, but I probably sure. ought to find a, another male here down the road. So yeah. 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 How about, how about you? What's going on with you? Um, not much. I'm in that typical, like where I'm looking at my animals and I'm like, ah, oh, this whole year's a bust. Nothing's going to look great. I don't know what's going on. Ah! So that's pretty much where I'm at. I, okay. I've got, I've got, yeah, I've got a, a day geckos that are starting to, to build and lay. So, um, looks like, looks like their season's starting to kind of start up again. So, um, still got William side that are, that are that are laying and hatching and so you know kind of a little bit of everything going on here and so we'll see we'll see what i really end up 
what we what we really end up doing but i feel like i'm i'm right on track for how i feel like oh it looks good it looks good oh it's horrible it's awful it's it's a total bust no not quite yep. so we'll see you know i've, I've we'll got see. the panic with a couple of my projects as well yeah, i really right? want some stuff to go and it's like yeah they don't always play play along but no and and i feel like they like to mess with you like you know i was looking at the female tracier like last week and she looked really promising and i was like oh great and now i'm looking at her and i'm like wait what's going on no was <laughs> yeah. that an obvious that doesn't look like that didn't look like an ovulation <laughs> oh no what's going on so you know <laughs> i just that's why and that's why i'm like so like hands off with stuff where it's just like put it together when i know it generally like breeds and just whatever happens happens man because i can't be so emotionally invested in that stuff anymore i'm too old you know i've got health problems on the horizon for me <laughs> yeah. i don't need to add to that you know what i mean i yeah. just don't need to add to that yeah speaking of being vested uh we need to uh respond to some proposed legislation that's uh passed the house and is uh getting into the senate here uh for for them to to evaluate and pass it or or you know, reject it. So, um, this is uh, proposed legislation that could negatively impact pretty much all pet keeping except for puppies and kitties. So, if you like to keep anything other than dogs and cats, you need to write your senators today, right now, when you're listening to this, or hopefully you've already done it, and let them know this this could damage businesses. This can damage. Um, our rights as Americans, a lot, a lot of different things are at stake here. So definitely, um, um, write your senators, uh, right yeah. now. If you have time done. to be heard, time to yeah. be heard. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of useful and helpful things, uh, on the us arc site, usarc.org. Um, and also if you don't support them, it'd be a great opportunity to, um, you know, donate to, to us arc and to, have them help us with our legal issues and to uh, combat things like this. So very important, very critical right now. Um, so we need to make sure this doesn't pass. Um, I know uh, that's probably, you've probably written many letters so far on and have, are fighting this, uh, I'm sure. But, yeah, yeah so. I mean, uh, you know, we're doing what, what we can. We, we maintain a, a fairly um, constant uh, status with US Arc mm -hmm. and US Arc Florida and Heather's been all over the internet, you know, promoting, uh, letting people know, ringing the bell, that potentially catastrophic. Uh, it's, I mean, I've been at this for 40 years and I've never, I mean, I know that there, this is similar to the bill that was proposed in 2009 that was shot down, mm -hmm. but, yeah. um, the way this one came through, I think, is is significantly more concerning. Mm -hmm. Even though that one was that was pretty scary when that one came through. Yeah. Um, well, so, hopefully that'll work against it. You know, kind of sneaking it in yeah. a, a big bill. You know, I guess that's how most legislation passes these days. So, but hopefully yeah. we don't have to fight it on the other end. You know, hopefully we can nip it in the bud and get it pulled out of there uh, before it gets passed. Yeah, it's actually a stunning indictment of our process mm -hmm. that they pass these massive bills that these people sign off on that they've never even read. Yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous. I, I mean, what the hell are we paying them for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that should. So, I mean, and just the fact that they're just just 
con- conglomerate this huge, you know, yeah. mishmash of different. That has nothing uh, to do with any of the, the, the quote, uh, whatever it was. I forget the name of it. It's uh, America Competes Act. Yeah. Has and inside of it, it has a giant sword that would essentially, you know, destroy an entire industry and force and I mean, take out billions of dollars out of the economy and wreck people's lives and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it's just it's ridiculous how off track, um, you know, we're letting legislation get where it's it's just like I mean, yeah. it just doesn't it's it's like it's like these these just home wrecking things that come through under the yeah. guise of like regu- positive regulation of something mm-hmm. it's yeah. just i don't know i just it's it's so sick um you know as, as somebody who kind of believes in the the free enterprise and and the the spirit of america and you know i'm mm-hmm. a veteran and i'm all these things it's just like get your head out of your collective asses you know yeah. politicians yeah. and like it's just it's just ridiculous. It makes me sick. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they've done a good job at convincing people that that they're essentially powerless against this. And yeah. really, the reality of it and the truth of it is, is that the individuals, all of us, we hold all of the power. We oh, are sure. the base of that pyramid. Mm-hmm. And if you kick the base out from under that pyramid, the shit at the top is going to crash. Yeah. yeah. For that to happen, all you have to do is stop participating. Yeah. Just stop endorsing all of this crap and say no more mm-hmm. you know and force the them but i mean if you look at the way everything's all divided up right now and people are people don't trust their neighbors the one guy hates the other guy because of all these things yeah the du- the dumb the dumb divisions and meanwhile lobbyists yeah. and big money are you know running it all in a back room uh yeah in, yeah in, laughing you know. all the way to the oh, bank yeah 100 yep. they, they want to sow that dis you know the, the oh, yeah. separation it, and and I mean, fighting uh, amongst uh, ourselves yeah the yeah. paralysis of 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 people is is a hundred percent in their interest to yep. Yep. you know yeah this isn't a democrat or a republican issue this is an american no. issue yep. if you want to <laughs> yeah, exactly. have the rights to keep exactly how people need to look at everything yep. and i think you know it, the one thing that I'm, I guess I'm heartened by that even at our level of division, I, I hear people who maybe politically are so far away from, you know, the way I view things and you start to talk to them and they feel exactly the same way yeah. you do about yeah. politicians and about politics and about the bullshit. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we just, we're, we're getting closer and closer to all agreeing that this is crap, that nobody's yeah. going to take it anymore. And, you may be way on the other side of the fence for me politically, but we both agree that this is bullshit and nobody's going to stand for it. And I think, you know, once we get there and everybody's rowing in the same boat, uh, things will change. But, the, the, you know, as long as they're trying to throw us all into different boats and have us row different directions, yeah, it's never going to work. It's just That's not exactly it, man. Yeah. yeah, that is exactly well it. said, Mr. Chuck. Yep. All right. Well, um, again, I mean, if you know how to copy and paste, you can write a letter to your senator. Just use yep. the the yep. stuff that the U.S. ARC has provided for us uh, or write your own stuff. I, I kind of tried to personalize a little bit to maybe uh, feed into the politician's ego, you know, like, hey, I really like what you've been doing lately or, you know, I'm really proud of you for this or that, you know, now now do this for me. Stop this. Yeah. Stop this bill. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, together we can we can get this uh, nipped in the bud. So don't don't 
uh, hesitate, don't wait, get it done. Right. And, I, and, and I mean, not to say that they don't read your mail, Justin, but yeah. I think just the the the, the volume uh, speaks the volume. speaks mm-hmm. to them. So the yeah. more you do, they don't it, have the more to read it. You do, yeah, they, and they <laughs> yeah. don't. They, they yeah. you know yeah. certainly they're not reading it. Maybe yeah, a staffer they're staffers, might, yeah. You know, like you might catch a here or there, but mm-hmm. I I honestly really doubt that if they're not even reading the bill, they're not reading the hate mail that comes yeah. uh, from yeah. the bill. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so so flood them with tons of it. Give them more than they can handle. So that the volume speaks, you yep. know, the word. That's what um, it will do it. Yeah. If they absolutely. see there's enough of their constituents that are clamoring for this, then they're going to listen. So yep. Uh, yep. we only have power in numbers, guys. So yep. let's uh, get that out there. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> that's, that's what we say at work. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, let's be a team. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, we're uh, really thrilled, like we said before, to have you on here, Ron. And thanks for doing this. And uh, why don't you... I introduce yourself for anybody who's living in a hole in the ground and mm. doesn't know who you are. <laughs> I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but how do you fit into herpeticulture and that kind of thing? Um, I mean, I've been a professional herpeticulturist for since the 1980s or so. Now I started when I was a kid, I was like mm-hmm. 17, 18 when I really started breeding stuff. And I don't know, I've worked with a lot of stuff. I'm responsible However, you whether 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 you look at this negatively or positively, but I'm responsible for blue tegus and albino blue tegus yeah. and blood boas and just a motley bunch of motley like boas motley yeah. boas yeah yeah. So today I, we work on we're tr- still trying to break new ground. We're working out um, husbandry and mm-hmm. uh, commercial systems for giant anola species and. Um, we're working on Parsons, chameleons, and cool. um, monkey yeah. tail skinks, and all kind of stuff. Monitors, some killer yeah. monitors, man. <laughs> I drool every yeah. time I think about the monitors you have over there. Yeah, I know oh, those Spencer. Thanks, right? That's cool it. stuff. I'm hoping you're going to have a lot of luck with those and get get some. Yeah, more so far, uh, not so much, but we'll see. Supposedly, right now is the time of the year where they do something. But like you guys, I'm in that part of the year where I'm like, fuck nothing's going to do anything and <laughs> yeah. everything sucks and you know I'm just waiting for a comet to fall on me kind of deal but yeah, yeah. no it usually I learned a long time ago you just got to leave shit alone and let it go yeah yep. yeah that's right to be it's to be and if it's not then it's not but most of the time more often than not you know you end yeah. up you end up in pretty good shape mm-hmm. so. yeah. yeah well that's uh I I I uh, enjoyed your interviews on some of the other pod, you know, NPR uh, interview a while back and just listening to your stories from back in your <laughs> collecting days. So there's some good stuff. Go, go check out those if you haven't heard them, but there, yeah, he's got some really hilarious stories and uh, some, some uh, pretty uh, sketchy near misses or, or not so near oh, yeah. misses. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah almost uh, lost a nut. Missing <laughs> half a nipple. Yeah. <laughs> I've had my injuries, man. <laughs> Turns out you don't grab giant Nile sawshell turtles when, unless you know which way their head is. Wow. Yeah. yeah those things. That's hard to jump on those. <laughs> so, no uh, one can argue your commitment, Ron. Yeah. No one can <laughs> argue your sure. commitment. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, we've uh, got you on here to talk about uh, reptile choices. Do reptiles make you know the best choices for themselves? Um, so we're gonna we're gonna fight about that topic today. Uh, if they if they uh, are given you know unlimited uh, choices or whatnot. So um, so we're gonna go ahead and flip the coin. See who gets to debate you out of my 
co-host Chuckin or myself. So you want to call it Chuck? Sure. You got a pretty uh, confident uh, title there. <laughs> I, fig- I figured I would goad you with my title <laughs> yeah. no matter which way the, right. uh, the coin toss goes. So, Okay, call it. Tails. Oh, it is tails. Because it's always tails. Has anybody <laughs> noticed this? Yeah. I called heads the last time, and I think I lost. Uh-huh. So I'm yeah. like, nah, I'm going tails. <laughs> All right. Well, you got it. You want to debate him, or do you want to let me? I'm going to let you do it. All I'm right. I'm, I'm is that cool? Are you cool with one. that, Justin? Oh, definitely. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah. Yep, Ron, you sure. good with that? Yeah. I'm good. All right. Okay. I've known the since he was a kid, so. Yeah, there you go. Dad's going to whoop your ass, Justin. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. All right, Ron, you can call it for which side of the topic you get. What's your call? Oh, what side? Yeah, heads or tails. Just t- heads or tails. Heads? It's tails. It's <laughs> Chuck was right. It's tails, Ron. <laughs> it's I know, I see that. Wow, that's crazy. He swears that, so I think he might, and I'm just, I'm just saying. He's got this. a two, he, two he, tails coin. Exactly. And he's, but he's got, he's got a two, he's got a two-sided coin. Yeah, see, that's what he shows everybody <laughs> yeah. else. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm but just faking know, everybody out. He's a doctor and apparently a magician as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm going to take the the uh, con side. The reptiles don't really make good choices, um, and uh, and so I'll give you the yes. They they do great if they're given the opportunities. They'll make good choices. So I appreciate Does that. that. Work. That's, All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I figured. You you know you have a lot of good insights. That's another thing that I really got out of your podcast was the use of like desert reptiles of like the dew, you know, the morning dew and stuff, the dew point. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. So thank you for putting that in my brain. So well, I, I appreciate that, man. It was just a, an observation I made for yeah. thing Vale chameleons and mm-hmm. that's, I that's mean, how the good stuff comes out, right? Is <laughs> watching yeah. these things, seeing what they do in the wild. And if you don't really know what they do in the wild, it's probably a little harder to keep them in captivity. So, mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you lead out. Let have you lead us out, and and uh, we'll start the the debate there. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm kind of agnostic actually to this. This mm-hmm. is something that I do. I'm somewhat in the middle, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty much that way in any, everything. I really don't yeah. have, you know, like a very hard fast rule system for what i do or or what i've noticed i matter of fact when i think i know something i usually have something stab me in the face <laughs> and prove that i don't know shit yeah but um primarily the way i do things is i mean it's basically kind of like the god god in the garden of eden kind of thing i mm-hmm. build a a setup and mm-hmm. i try to supply them with everything that i possibly think they could need and give them multi multiple um, levels and layers um, so that they can make their own choices depending on the species and what I feel is appropriate, you know, for that species based on you know where it's from, what its habits are, mm-hmm. at least what I believe its habits are. It's hard to really know for sure unless you're actually go and see these things in the wild. But sure, yeah. Um, and then I just lead, I step back. I set everything up in pairs for the most part. I'm the opposite of Phil. Mm-hmm. We had on last couple of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, me and Phil give each other shit about that all the time. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, I kind of st- then I stand back and I leave it alone. And then I only intervene if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. But I do, you know, we do monitor things pretty well. And um, actually, when Heather and I got together, she was pretty much the opposite. She was more like Phil. She kept everything separate and did yeah. a lot of control stuff. And over time, um, we've kind of fused the two uh, systems together. Like mm-hmm. I've adopted some of the things she does and she's adopted a lot of the things I do. And Hey, that makes for a good partnership, right? Yeah. it actually, yeah. <laughs> I've made broke more ground in the last four or five years with her than I did the previous 30 years. Yeah. That's cool. So I've made, we've made a lot of like serious advancements here um, mm-hmm. that I'm pretty happy with. So it's awesome. Um, but you know, that's how, that's to me, that that's what works is that I, um, by building the system and letting them do their thing, they know better than I'm going to know, mm-hmm. in my opinion, what they need. And then I let them choose it. Mm-hmm. But, there, you know, there are caveats to that. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're, you know, this is all about is kind of things that you should watch out for or be careful of. So that would lead me to my first point um, of, of animals that aren't used to cold and, and you probably, I mean, you're seeing this in your backyard probably with the invasive iguanas. They, they don't come from a very cold area. So when it gets cold, they start falling out of trees and, you know, yeah. they don't know how to behave. And there's some animals that, you know, more tropical that don't experience that kind of cold. And so they don't really know what to do. They don't know to seek, you know, uh, cover or, or thermal stable areas to, to weather out the cold, you know, the really cold times. And so they can, you know, die out in the elements if it, cause they don't know what to do. So, you know, giving them or, or keeping them outside, I imagine that's probably a concern for you. If you have a cold snap and you have stuff outside that maybe doesn't know what to do when it gets cold, um, they, they need to be brought inside or, or taken care of in some way to, so they can, figured out i've even heard of i I can't remember who was telling me this but they they had an you know a species outdoor and they even had like a a hide area with like a a bulb that would warm them up you know so it'd keep them at a certain temperature and they didn't even go inside that you know they didn't know to seek that uh, warm hideout when it started getting cold so so i think maybe if they're raised in the environment and they kind of experience from a young age and see oh i go here and it's warm then maybe they're okay but yeah, something to, you know, that'd be probably my first point of when reptiles, if they have those, uh, you know, all sorts of options, they may not know what to do with certain um, conditions. Yeah, that's actually absolutely the case. I just went through this myself two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week it was, it rained here for five days and it was mm-hmm. in the 50s during the day and in the upper 30s at night, which for Florida is <laughs> fairly unusual to be that cold and pouring down rain for multiple days. Uh-huh. It was actually one of the worst things that I've ever personally gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I more or less knew how to manage it, but uh, we have so much stuff that we couldn't possibly bring all yeah. this stuff in. Yeah. And it's all space. set up in a way with um, that. They have subfloors that are warm because they're, you know, they're, they're buried under a couple inches of mulch and mm-hmm. they're below the ground but you always get these dumbasses <laughs> that don't want to go in them. Uh-huh. And I went out there at uh, like nine o'clock at night and I shine the light up on one of the things and there's a big monitor just laying out in the freaking cold yeah. and that would have froze to death. I had to go out there and get it. And, and it was eight feet in the air on a, on a, <laughs> on a basking platform and I had to sure. grab it, stick it in a box, bring it inside. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I said there's caveats and, yeah. and 
and I do have to inter- intervene uh, on occasion with with stuff like that. That said, though, probably a good eighty to ninety percent of the stuff here was in its either super tropical stuff. We do give some heat, um, mm-hmm. yeah. but almost everything here we don't use any heat at all. Basically, the subfloor is warm enough. If it's 35 degrees at night, it'll still be in the 50s underneath that floor. And in the mm-hmm. morning, the sun comes up and hits it, and the cages rocket up to 90 degrees. So yeah. they uh, they don't experience uh, uh, super cold temperatures for longer than a few hours at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of them know to go underneath the floor. And, and uh, like I said, about 80 to 90% of them choose it on their own, and I don't have to do anything. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you look at it that way, then... <laughs> the preponderance is that uh, they do tend to make the right decisions, but obviously everything's an individual and they're not little clones. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if, yeah, if they're, if they've never experienced it or don't have kind of that genetic programming to escape cold, then, you know, that oh, that's understandable. That did, you know, the one yeah. that I had to pull in, he knows all about it. <laughs> he and he's should know better. Yeah. Yeah. They come from pretty yeah, uh, they, cool they climates. Cold Sure, yeah. sure. This wasn't his first rodeo, but he decided, <laughs> you know. I've found heat it. here before. I'm going to sit here yeah. and wait till the heat comes again. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, you mentioned the the keeping in pairs, and I and I really I I really like to keep my stuff in pairs together because they'll catch each other's cues, you know, reproductive Correct. cues. And like, I think Chuck and I were talking about this last week with his, you know, home hairs. He doesn't really see locks between his home hairs and they, they breed and, and everything's good. Oh, Tracy, that's home hairs, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know You're why good. it's based on You're that. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I get those, uh, scrubs mixed up in my head, but okay. So, uh, you know, when I, I find the same thing, when I keep a species together, they usually don't have a lot of, uh, you know, obvious courtship or, or breeding yeah. behavior. And and so they just get the job done when the female's ready. So um, if you're keeping them separate, though, uh, introducing a male into a female's cage or something, he can just kind of go nuts with the pheromones and, and not being around a female for a long time. And he'll just breed even if it's not really uh, a productive mating, you know, and so that'll stress out the female and and wear him out, use up his energy. Whereas if you're keeping them together, that doesn't really happen. You know, they kind of leave each other alone or, or, or at least hang out or something, but they're not, he's not always trying to mate with the female. And it's, it's also helpful too, if you're keeping them together, because you, you might, if you start seeing breeding behavior, you're, you know, it's, you know, it's on and you can kind of make notes and record from there. But yeah, that would be another thing where they're not making the best choice. They're wasting their energy. They're not really uh, sensitive to cues maybe as much as they would be if they were kept together, if they're housed it, individually. It, it is interesting, though, that, that that they do seem to have hard triggers. Like barometric changes seem to be hard triggers mm-hmm. for breeding. And, and it's sure. like, yeah. you know, you don't necessarily see it like the same. But, you know, I still see like I, I don't know when my animals breed, but I know they disappear when I suspect that they're breeding. And sure. oh, by the way, it's correlated to a barometric, you know, a drop in barometric pressure. So I'm kind of like, all right, that's probably what that is. So I don't you know, I don't know. But that's just I think that's interesting, too, that there's just certain certain environmental triggers that that will cause them to breed. But certainly I agree that whole like. Uh, put them in the cage and they go right at it thing definitely just disappears when you when you <laughs> yeah. cohab you keep them together and and um oh sorry go ahead no no go ahead yeah I, um just you know the the idea that uh they're 
they they know better than I do. I'm kind of with you where you said, you know, I let the let them do their thing, you know, put them together and they do their their thing and I try not to get in the way. You know, I really identify yeah. with that as well because I don't I can't smell their hormonal, you know, pheromonal cues or whatever, so um I'm sure they can though. So, you know, that's exactly. leave it to them. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that has other challenges, of course, you know, you got to have a, a bigger cage and, and at feeding time, it might be tricky to separate them for, for feeding or, or you know, get them to yeah. not be de- beat up on each other for to steal food or whatnot. I don't know how many times I've had to separate uh, two big pythons that have bit on the same rat or, <laughs> or, or on oh, each yeah. other because there was movement and they smell rat in the, in the room. So, yeah, but usually I haven't had, I, I think I've had one fatality where a female mistook a, a male for prey and ended up eating him or killing him or whatever. So, but it doesn't happen often. Usually it's, it's just fine. Even if they bite each other, you know, it's not really, it doesn't really last or have lasting damage. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had one snake swallow another snake's head oh. all the way, and, then, <laughs> and I caught it and then I pulled up and got it out. And the one that had its head halfway shoved down the boa's uh, throat just, I wobbled for a couple seconds, was covered in like slime, and <laughs> yeah. off. but it was fine after that. <laughs> That's fine. That's yeah, that was one yeah. of the original uh, rough scale pythons that John Weigel collected. It was being consumed by an olive python, and they found <laughs> found it while it was consuming it, and they rescued the the this male uh, rough scale python, and it went on to produce the majority of rough scales in you know captivity oh, in Australia at the time. Yeah, that's a cool story. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a double lottery winner rough scale <laughs> right, right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet he was happy they came along. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel the same way. That's kind of why I started doing the cohabbing thing a long time ago is that I just felt like there's no possible way that I could catch everything when it was at the right time. I, I mean, it's so, it's just too easy to miss stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in some I think I think it does work in a lot of cases. Some cases it's that the person doing it is so sensitive to it. Like in Phil's case, I think I think Phil Litz. Um, he's kind of on a different level with those Euromastics than mm. almost everybody. And he's, that dude is like hyper dedicated. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. I'm just not that fucking dedicated. <laughs> I, I want to fucking play World of Warcraft. I want to watch movies and yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I like my five months off in the wintertime where I just hardly have any interaction with any other animals. Uh-huh. So I like the hibernation thing, you know, but yeah. Phil is like hardcore all the time. I mean, yeah. He's so hardcore. He wears me out. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh-huh. he catches that stuff. And I think, mm-hmm. I think if you're a Phil, you know, and and you're really hyper focused. I think you can probably pull it off more often than not. But I think for most of us, we're busy with other shit. Yeah, or yeah. oh, don't give a fuck. <laughs> and, uh, and I think just I get like to write about here in the season, and I'm like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. That right yeah. there lets me know that I have no business being the introducer <laughs> of of pairings, right? Like I'm yeah. just like. Yeah, Take me out sure. of this. <laughs> totally, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm the same way. I just, yeah. uh, so I think for most of us, I think it's just a better strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As long as you can, you know, make sure that, you know, you don't have, you do have to monitor them, you know, and make sure nobody's beating each other up. And yeah, we always have, we have enough extra enclosures that if there is a problem, we can separate and then reintroduce later on. And most of the time that works. I've actually, while I'm talking to you, I can't recall. Um, 
a death mm -hmm. related to that. Mm -hmm. uh, not certainly not in the last decade or so. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw an interesting post this week. I uh, apologies. I can't remember who it was, but they talked about um, one of their uh, I, I believe it was a Tristus monitor had gotten the female had a, you know, busted up arm. She had bled a little, you know, so they, they figured, you know, tried to see what was going on. And then the male was actually breeding the female and the female looked okay. Like he wasn't trying to hurt her or anything. And so they kind of just kind of let it ride and to see what would happen. And, um, a couple of days later she was using her arm fine and, you know, the, the bites yeah. or whatever were healing and, I mean, they usually kind of figure things out. And I, yeah, once in a while, you'll get an antisocial animal that'll just, you know, won't will try to rip apart anything that gets near it. You know, it's not going to yeah. be, the, be the best animal for you to keep. You might want to rehouse that one with somebody who, who just wants a pet. But um, but for the most part, I think they, they know how to kind of work things out or, or uh, you, you see that with the blue tongues quite a bit. Like I, you know, I. I keep my blue tongues individually just because I don't have the space in my room. Uh, but when I put them outside, I'll put them out together and, and kind of let them uh, work out. But you, you'll know when the female's done with the male and when she's ready to have him gone because they sometimes will beat it, beat each other up, you know. But again, that's probably a little antisocial behavior because I'm keeping them singly. Um, yeah. I'm, do you keep uh, pairs or do you keep groups? Of yeah, we, we have around 50 blue tongues here uh -huh. uh, comprised of five or six species cool. all in pairs year round. Never, I never separate, but they, in most cases they were raised together as mm -hmm. pairs mm -hmm. uh, and, and they've never been separate. So mm -hmm. uh, they have a big tube and we use probably much larger caging than what most people yeah. use yeah. um, because I can get away with that because I have the luxury of, being able to do them outside. If I had to do them inside, it'd be a. I would probably still do them in pairs, but but I would definitely not have as many, and it would be yeah. much more difficult to pull off. Yeah. Um, because for them, also, I mean, I I feel like I would totally miss them, especially since I don't know about yours, but ours, I rarely see ours. I mean, we mm -hmm. have a ton of them, and it's really hard to get a glimpse of them because yeah. um, they dart into their tubes as soon as you yep. walk by. So they're you know you. You just never know. Yeah. Yeah. I go out there. That's what we do basically is in the spring, we start walking them uh, on a daily basis, the enclosures looking for babies. And mm -hmm. oh, hey, there's 19 <laughs> babies in here. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, that's always fun to find a case. Like, especially when you're not really like, you don't know if they're going to have them or not. And all of a sudden you see, yeah, a bunch of babies. That's, dude, I can tell you a story fun. about those blue tongues that I yeah. haven't really talked about. Uh -huh. But when I set those up, we bought these Wayne Hill sold me these huge black tubs mm -hmm. right there, like six feet long. Yeah. Um, and I ripped the bottoms out of them so that when it rains, you know, the water drains out. And I usually replace that water. I mean, the bottoms with, uh, quarter inch wire mm -hmm. right yeah but i was fucking lazy and i had all this this inch one inch lattice laying around this uh pvc lattice stuff uh -huh. so i was like you know what that's super easy i can just cut that screw it under the bottom and then because they can't they're not going to get out of it it's too mm -hmm. big and you know it'll be buried under a foot or so of substrate so i cut them all i slapped that shit on the bottom and then i set up all these these, these huge rows of these tubs for them things. Mm -hmm. Then I backfilled them with dirt, buried a pipe, and backfilled that on top with uh, leaf litter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I so a year goes by, you know, I'm feeding them, they're eating, everybody's doing good, and all of a sudden they stop eating what I'm putting in there. 
right? Mm. And I'm like, hmm, maybe they're they're going off feed for some reason. It's weird, but whatever. So a month goes by. Every time we see them, they're fat as hell. They're <laughs> like, what the hell's going on? And I'm like, they're not. And Heather's like, well, what are you feeding these? And I'm like, I'm not. They're not eating anything. <laughs> it turns out that when I when I set this up, apparently I created the perfect environment for a giant burrowing roach that naturally lives in Florida. Really? And those enclosures were so full of them that these skinks have been gorging themselves. Our skinks <laughs> and our ackies. Yeah. Our ackies are doing this too. That's all they eat. Really? I, I put in awesome. food. They don't, they don't give a shit what wow. I put in there because they're getting all these wild roaches. Yeah. And man, the stuff looks great. Wow. That's very so, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, it was just a weird uh, – I don't think I could ever replicate this again. But right yeah. now we have blue tongues that – 50 blue tongues that don't have to be fed. They're getting wow. all wild roaches and it doesn't seem to stop. Huh. So, so they, so there's kind of an equilibrium there. They're not yeah. they're eating them <laughs> yeah. to, into extinction or whatever. That's yep. really cool. That's, that that's weird? what you want, right? That's like, I know, a, right? <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of a uh, bioactive thing. Yeah. yeah. Like Bert Langerwerf so. would have killed for a cage like that. Right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's I know. Cool. I couldn't believe it. And I wouldn't have, I didn't realize it was happening with the Ackies until I pulled the adult Ackies the other day and they were all huge and they haven't eaten in four months. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, and then I started taking their, their hiding areas apart and all the roaches were in there. So they're eating those too. <laughs> really? So are they a native? Like, uh, yeah, it's a big native. It's a, where I live is on the thing called the Lake Wales Ridge. It's the driest part of Florida. Basically, okay. it's one of the only parts that was above, you know, the water, the ocean at one point. It's mm -hmm. pretty much always. Uh, that's why there's lots of fossil mammoths and stuff here. But cool. Um, so we have this unusual, basically, uh, habitat here, and there's a native large burrowing roach that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> um, and that, to discover it yeah. right yeah but uh, it's kind of weird man i thought it was doing good i i threw a bunch of uh um mealworm beetles in my roach colony and and then they started like breeding and so i've got yeah. a mixed uh, colony of of insect feeders and so i don't really have to buy feeders for for my uh insectivorous uh, lizards and it's been really nice yeah i love food. i love doing stuff like that man. yeah there's, there's all yeah. kind of little things you can do to tweak it so that you get mm -hmm. you know uh you're a little more efficient and that's definitely one of the one of the ways it's a whole <laughs> lot better than yeah the alternatives but well that's interesting so i i guess i'm i'm curious so this this can you know fall in fall in really well with the conversation but um so they they had the choice you were giving them other food items um, yeah what they were you offering like the ackies or the blue tongue just you know well i mean the, in the ackies case they get offered you know a variety of insects mm -hmm. um, and i just kept I noticed the crickets were building up. They were just mm -hmm. ignoring them. The, mm -hmm. They weren't really gorging on superworms like they had done in the past. But I really didn't realize there were that many in the Ackies until, until a couple days ago. Uh -huh. Like uh -huh. I had taken them off food back in November um, because we keep them outside. They're in a large group and they're yeah. in a big enclosure. And okay. the enclosure has an entire case of cork bark mm. all stacked up. So it's got all these crevices. And <laughs> That's cool. So when they're in there... You don't really, you know, I never see them unless they're out basking and they, yeah. they act wild. They dive in. Yeah. But, you know, it's winter, so they're hibernating. Um, and then uh, she, Heather wanted to check on them. So we went out there on a warm day and I started taking everything apart. And I'm like, look at these fat bastards. They haven't lost any weight at all. <laughs> and, uh, and when I got to the last, uh, you know, layers, 
I started peeling back and there were the same roaches that are in the blue tongues were in there. Wow. So I was like, wow, this is, this is really, uh, this is really working. So I wish I could get them. I mean, I'm sure they're in with the bearded dragons and, and probably the, you know, the Spencers are, are not really losing weight either, like I thought. So they may be getting mm, into yeah. like their so, enclosures. Do you have like decomposition going in there, Ron? Like, like so this reminds me. So I, I do. I used to do a lot of composting. And so yeah. you, you use like an open bottom co- container and you put all your, your greens and your browns in there. And all of like, I call them the FBI, this fungus, bacteria, invertebrates. Yep. They all come right up into there and you can find grubs and all, all kinds of stuff in there. And I'm just wondering if there's some kind of a, a, a bioactive churn going on there at the surface there that is. are kind of bringing them up in. So what it is, is we have, we live on a five acre property that is covered in oak trees and, and we have probably a foot deep oak leaf. Yeah, that's awesome. And I've been using those oak leaves for everything. Like yeah. I, I put them in, that's what I use to kind of, you know, hibernate, proof them and stuff like that. Because I have, and actually I never even thought to use that, man. I was watching <laughs> some fucking YouTube video that had the, the guys from Josh's Frogs where they were uh, like, oh yeah, we buy all these leaves. leaves. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> I've got some I've got leaves. millions of dollars worth of leaves <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> I may as well start using them. Man. Yeah. So, uh, well, so anyway, awesome. so I started screwing around with them and, and it turns out that, uh, it, it is probably the composition caused by the yeah. leaves um, that brings the roaches in and then yep. and then they just whatever maybe the, having the water bowls in there gives them a water source and mm-hmm. then they start breeding in the enclosures and mm-hmm. it's just this crazy uh, accidental thing that that happened yeah and so it's saving us a lot of, a lot of money yeah. to be honest. <laughs> that's I mean, what that's you a, want that's yeah a, that's a win that's a win food pyramid right there man right <laughs> yeah, yeah right. i mean the hackies and blue tons aren't really costing us anything to produce right now yeah. so uh-huh. as long as this holds up pretty cool <laughs> yeah so I'm obviously adding a lot more hackies and Sure. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you uh, use the subfloor with your ackies or is yeah. it just the cork bark? Okay. Um, well, the, does that prove a challenge when you're collecting eggs or how do how do you? No, okay. no. That I have no. So for the ackies, we have basically no. The substrate that's there is not deep enough for them to lay eggs, mm-hmm. and then they have a they have a you know little fake termite mounds you mm-hmm. make with the with the plastic boxes. Yeah, and they use that a hundred percent of the time. Oh, nice. Like I, okay. So, um, that's cool. Yeah. With anything that, uh, that we have the subfloor and we, I keep the substrate very, very sparing mm-hmm. until winter time. And then I'll actually stack Build it up. unopened bags of cypress mulch on top of them. Mm-hmm. So okay. that, that acts like an extra insulator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy in uh, salt Lake up here that, that keeps rushing tortoises outdoors year round and he'll just put some like straw bales or something and then like a tarp Mm -hmm. to keep the snow out and he'll find babies crawling around in the spring you know little hatch that's a good that's a good idea i mean that's that's like i don't know that's kind of my dream someday is to have like a self (laughs) i i don't know i remember i think it was frank reedy's that had like some eggs that he missed in one of his cages and they hatched out in the cage and he had these little monsters that's 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 the that's the coolest i guess but i mean back when i was breeding australian water dragons mm-hmm. one, one one day i went out, i didn't know if anything was going on with those and one day i went out there and there's baby australian water dragons staring <laughs> at me and I was, what the hell is that yeah. mm-hmm. i thought it was a brown and all at first and i uh-huh. had to 
and I looked and I was like, oh shit, that's a water dragon. And I started <laughs> looking around. There was a lot more water dragons than that enclosure. So that's cool. I was like, man, I'm glad that the wire was quarter inch on that one. Yeah. Right. Right. So after that, anything that's basically, we build our enclosures based around the size of the hatchlings. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what the wire setups we use just in case you miss stuff. Yeah. Cause it happens. So, um, maybe I'll switch up the topics a little bit. So uh, you're a, you're a boa guy or have, have worked with a lot of boas. And so, mm-hmm. um, I'm more of a, a Python fellow myself, but <laughs> I, so I've, I've heard that boas sometimes will seek heat at the wrong times, like when they're, when they're gravid and, and that can kind of ruin, um, litters of boas. Is, is that, is there any truth to that? Are they, um, if, if a female seeks heat at the wrong time, you know, they, they could potentially ruin their, their litters. I mean, that's entirely possible. Um, back when I was working with boas, I was living in Miami at the time. Mm-hmm. I lived in a little, uh, little unaired. It had no air. The house I lived in had no AC or anything. It was mm-hmm. just kind of, it was basically like a beach house that they had built in the, in the fifties. It was concrete and, they were really smartly designed. So even if you lived in Miami, they were still reasonably cool, even in the okay. summer. Yeah. Um, so what I did with the boas was I had them in a room that I just left the windows open all the time. And yeah. it was more or less the Terry Phillip method. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, you control the room temperature and you don't really give any kind of um, supplemental heat. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that's where that idea came from, actually, now that I think about it, as I was talking to Terry and and we were talking about kind of this topic of, you know, giving them choices and stuff. And he said they were str- I think it was a boa species, some island boa species that they were struggling to produce or, or get to breed in captivity or somebody, you know, like a research station had set up a colony of them. And so they went to the island to kind of see what was going on. And I guess like for a certain type of the year, time of the year, they would live on this you know, part of the Island where it never got any sun and they were always kind of colder and, and that kind of thing. And then during, you know, after they'd ovulated and were getting, you know, had developing off, they'd moved to this warmer area. I'm probably butchering the the story, but (laughs) kind of that, that's what stuck in my mind that, that they, um, and, and so the people keeping them captivity just gave them kind of a basking light, year round kind of thing. And they didn't have them be colder at certain times of the year during the breeding season and stuff. And so they just weren't, weren't, uh, and, and the females would go bask. So they're thinking, Oh, they, they want the heat, you know, they need that heat. And so they'd leave yeah. the basking light in there. But in, in reality, it was what was preventing them from having success. So I think, you know, reptiles especially may, may, may make poor choices. Um, again, if they don't, you know, if it's not, not in their wheelhouse or they're not used to this, um, might make poor choices of seeking heat when they probably shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for sure. I'm sure there are, um, probably as many, um, cases. Well, I shouldn't say that there are probably outliers and that's probably an outlier, Mm -hmm. an aberration of the rule. And, and it's also, there's a case where, you know, not all species are created equal. Some are yeah. not as smart as others. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, if you're working with more intelligent species, which, you know, lizards in my, and I, and I, I may be totally wrong, but from my experience, I've always felt like lizards were an order of magnitude, more intelligent than snakes, <laughs> but it could just be, 
let me let me let me before I get all the hate mail from the snake guys. It could very well just be that lizards just display it in in a way, and snakes just don't display it, but they actually, you know, in a way that humans can easily or or we think we're reading it anyway. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, um, you know, I love snakes. Mm-hmm. Snakes are just they're very you know they're very one. They're they're all about you know eating, procreating, and, and that's it. And I've just never seen them do anything like you see the stuff that some of the monitors do that mm-hmm. verges on what would, and I'm probably anthropomorphizing here, but <laughs> you know, it looks like they're they're It looks like puppies playing yeah. or, mm-hmm. or, or cats engaging in that kind of behavior. So, sure. I mean, like I said, I don't know. It I, seems I'm, like I'm agnostic yeah. to the whole thing, yeah. but that's just an observation that sure. I made. Yeah, lizards do seem much more complex in their behaviors and and the yeah. range of behaviors and things. So I, I would agree with you there. Yeah. 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 Although I appreciate snakes for the cold, heartless, solitary predators that they <laughs> they get the job done, don't they? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I think the um another another funny uh, post I saw this week was uh Brandon Shiflet, uh rare earth reptiles mm-hmm. he had one of his agernia one of the spiny tailed uh skinks that had gotten stuck in a hole it was trying to emerge out of a cork bark tube and it went through a hole and it got stuck <laughs> he said he saw it like yeah, i've seen that of, you know when the lights are going out and so um and then he saw it there in the morning again so he's like oh he's probably stuck and he had to break apart the cork bark to get him yeah. out of there <laughs> and so you know i i i would uh you know say that they're not all lizards are, are genius oh, for, no, sure. for sure <laughs> yeah for they sure. might make some stupid moves uh trying to get into crevices or, or spaces that are too small for them and yeah. i i had a, I a pet bow when i was growing up that would always do that he'd always try to go through the the crack on the door so the door would be open and he'd try to get he'd wedge his head in there and, and start trying to crawl through and he couldn't move forward or backwards and i'd have to you know work it work him out of there but yeah it's always a frustrating snake to anytime you let it cruise around or something it would get itself into a jam yeah, for sure <laughs> yeah. I've, I've probably seen plenty of that i just yeah, yeah. well and, and there's that uh famous picture of the you know the monitor lizard with its head in a beer can out in the you know somebody found yeah. it dead in the, in the outback you know tried to go into a beer can yeah not not the best choice there so i think sometimes they'll they'll be you know have have some uh, stupid moves there in the wild in, in all fairness i i don't know to what level monitors experience beer cans on a regular basis <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, that's a it's good kinda, point. that's kind of you know I think Maybe. Chuck is trying to justify because he used to get his head stuck in the banister, you know, and he uh, <laughs> hasn't everybody, hasn't everybody, is that I'm not, not is that's not that a common problem? <laughs> when I was a little kid, I stuck a fork in a socket, so. Oh, nice. <laughs> not nice. In my ass. Yeah. Nice. Oh, I tried I to separate an extension cord from a regular cord and I used my teeth to pry it. And the, Ooh, that's it a good one too. burned a big hole in my mouth, so I've got this nice little scarred up mouth. And I got one Oh, is that, where, is that where that little scar <laughs> came from? That's where it came from, ah. yeah. <laughs> when I was a, a kid, one. we had a little uh, a swimming pool in the backyard, you know, one of those aluminum ones. And yeah, my mom used to have chlorine that she put in a thing that floated around there. Well, I liked the smell of that chlorine. Oh, and no. one day I opened the fucking jar of chlorine and I stuck my nose in it and inhaled it. Oh, and that was the last thing I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I woke up on my back on the floor in the kitchen. I was like seven years old or something. 
looking up going, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Where yeah, I was I, a dumbass. How did I get sure. here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've all had I'm lucky to survive that one. Yeah. I think, I think all men have had experiences <laughs> yeah. that, 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 you know, like we yeah. all have those experiences that we can say we live through. <laughs> yeah. They were, right. all, they were all dumbass experiences. Yeah. Us, you yeah. Know, like, uh, I was driving through the desert with my cousin and I was getting car sick. And so I'm like, Hey, I'm going to sit on the hood of your car, you know, while you drive the, the hood of the truck. And, and so I was just kind of holding on, leaning against the windshield. And so he, you know, he's going really slow at first and he got a little faster and a little faster. And then all of a sudden he kind of took a blind corner and there was this big boulder in the road. So he hit the brakes and I'm supermaning along the dirt road and the car is skidding faster than I'm, you know, skidding. And, and it ran over my foot, flipped my shoe across the desert. I broke one of my toes and, and then, and then we went uh, and, and we were, you know, backpacking into this place. So we're hiking over slick rock for a mile or two. And, and he couldn't find the entrance to the Canyon. I'm like, I think I should probably just go home. <laughs> My foot's not doing great. He's like, yeah, your parents might kill me if, you know, if I don't take you home now. So kind of cut the trip a little short, but it was kind of at the tail end anyway, but yeah. And that folks is exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I like, that's, any a good one. that's a good one though, Justin. That's, that a, is, good that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. I've got a few like that, but yeah, yeah me <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. So I guess uh, humans are not immune to making stupid choices. As yeah. Well. See? yeah no, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to agree with you. I mean, everything is, I don't know, man. I just, the older I get, the less I find that it, there's any real hard, mm-hmm. hard truth to, to a lot of things. It's like, yeah. It's really if A is true, then go to B, and then yeah. if B is true, then go to step C, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. there's so many uh, variables, and yeah. everything is a little different, and mm-hmm. depends on where you're at, what you're doing. I'm curious what you so, um, you know, living in Florida and being able to keep things outdoors. Uh, I, you know, you, you've probably worked with a ton of different. Spe- I, I know you've worked with a bunch of different species yeah. and, and all from all different walks of <laughs> reptilian life. Um, yeah. Do you find that you, you have more success with, like, say, more tropical types that like kind of the rain or, or you know the humidity of Florida, or, or do you struggle with like desert types that maybe more dry environment or you know that kind of thing? Is is there anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I we definitely do. So, so it's actually both of those things are actually a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, rainforest species uh, that are equatorial are tough here yeah. because of the we, we're our weather is not very stable. I mean, we we do get cold relatively in mm-hmm. the winter time. Yeah, um, and then um, and we get pretty damn hot in the summer. So. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, and both, neither one of those things tend to lend themselves well to rainforest species sure. you know, that, yeah. that, are, that are used to being in like the mid eighties all the time. So that's a yeah. little difficult. Um, and desert stuff obviously has issues with, uh, the water. They, yeah. there's a lot of, um, misunderstanding. People think that relative air humidity is the problem, but it's actually not the problem at all. Mm-hmm. Relative humidity is largely... And actually, if anything, I think it works to our advantage because desert species, they're not living in the driest sections of the desert. They're seeking out humid areas in the desert. They're not out just in bare sand, you know, being barbecued in the sun. So 
um, that's a little easier. Uh, but uh, yeah, the problems that we run into are primarily around um, uh, winter time where we get basically like we just went through where we'll get a front that'll come down that'll drop the temperatures you know anywhere from 70 ish during the day to the 40s at night mm -hmm. but it'll be overcast and or raining for mm -hmm. multiple days in a row yeah that's a problem yeah because uh it, without the sun to heat the enclosures up they don't they can't ever get to an operating temperature and they're kind of kept at the state of limbo because uh, we keep everything covered in plastic, greenhouse plastic. So as long as we get sun, it can get as cold as it wants and mm -hmm. everything will be just fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, when you don't have sun, so that's a that's a big problem. And we're actually kind of transitioning what we do. We're moving away from desert species altogether. Um, mm -hmm. She's got more of an interest in chameleons now. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of lowering yeah. the bearded dragons and a lot of yeah. the desert stuff. Um, and we're we're kind of more heading towards a more a knoll, um, chameleon centered thing with the side projects that we do. You know the the monitors and the skinks. Yeah. The skinks actually work really well here. Those yeah. things just they love it here. This is like perfect for them. Mm -hmm. They take the cold. They take the heat. Obviously, they eat <laughs> wild roaches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean. I've been, I, I know that I've been working against myself for a long, I mean, 30 years ago, Bert Langerworth slapped me in the head and said, you know, what, what are you doing, boy? Yeah. You're, you're, you're working on all this desert stuff. You live in Florida. You're <laughs> you should go get a bunch of chameleons and, and frogs and work on stuff that likes the rain. You know, you're yeah. killing yourself for nothing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I'm, you know, I really like this I stuff. I like the so. other stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, it yeah. took me 54 years or whatever, 54, <laughs> yeah, 54 now to finally take his advice. But uh -huh. we were looking around here and I'm like, why are we banging our heads against the wall trying to, you know, yeah. when we don't need to, and we could do just as well. And yeah. it'll be more fun. Chameleons are actually pretty cool. And there's a lot of, it's not, there's not really a lot of chameleon breeds. Yeah. Out there. Right. A lot of them yeah, kind of come and go. It's, I think it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's if, brutal. Yeah, it can be a challenge for sure. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of where, you know, a lot of work is needed because they're, mm -hmm. yeah, they're, they're tricky. I mean, they're, they're yeah. kind of like the insects in, of the reptile world in a lot of ways where they just yeah. pump out eggs, breed really early, you know, and, die. and then they, yeah, and then they die. And if you, if you don't have a plan for that, you know, you're not keeping back a yeah. certain amount, they can, they can kind of burn themselves out like a wildfire or something. I guess the monitors, some of them, smaller monitors may maybe a little like that too you have a few really good years and then they kind of slow down and you know i don't know but yeah i was i was uh remembering a, a similar conversation i had with bert you know about what species i could keep outdoors in in utah because i was thinking uh, you know I had a terrible climate for reptiles but he's like oh no you could keep this one and this one. you know like yep. they do just fine as long as you make sure this or that or the other you know so yeah there's ways to do this and i'm actually you know planning on this this uh this year to try to do some outdoor pits and try to get some things at least for the majority of the year outdoors and and uh yeah, that'd be a, a nice way to do it. So I think. Yeah, I mean, I would think Australian stuff would be relatively good there. Mm -hmm. Not not yeah. not necessarily, you know, in the winter. Like yeah. But the southern stuff, especially Agurnia, I mean, sure. there's a whole bunch of them that come from places that are get cold. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of the monitors do, you know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff you could probably get away with pretty well. Yeah. And if you, if I was, I mean, I've actually thought about this a lot because I consider, well, what would happen if I had to leave Florida? How would I port this system that's got, you know, 30, 40 years worth of iteration mm -hmm. into, into something else? Um, so I actually have a lot of thoughts about it and plans and stuff if it ever happens. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, like the area that you live in is one of those places that I looked at and I'm like, that's actually a pretty good spot because... You know, I know you get snow and you get some, you can get some brutal winters where you're at, but you know, you could just pull them for that or, yeah. or give them underground heated uh, boxes that are artificially mm -hmm. heated. Just pray mm -hmm. the power doesn't go out. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> or make them insulated enough that if it does, they have a couple does, days of, yeah, yeah. of thermal radiance or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. So, but I, but I would stay the hell away from anything that's tropical. Tro mm -hmm. Equatorial stuff is just tough in general. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Usually yeah. very specific in its requirements and um, because it's, it comes from a place that just, you know, doesn't has, vary. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. doesn't vary. Yeah, Goldilocks. That, that was yeah. the, the biggest uh, surprise. You know, I was always thinking, you know, rainforest, it's hot and humid and, you know, it's yeah. just miserable. But you go and it's yeah. like, oh, it's 70 degrees, 75 degrees yeah. in here. It's it's not that hot and it's, you know, it's dark and kind of yeah. kind of easy going. So, yeah, that's and then you look at like temperature graphs from like New Guinea and they pretty much just have a flat line. You know, their whole year is just the same temperature and, in, you know, day in and day out for the most part. It's just the the moisture that varies, you know, the amount of rainfall. Doesn't New Guinea get cold in the winter, though? Maybe in some places like high up on the mountains and stuff. But, yeah, down like in the in the valleys, in the it's pretty it much just, yeah, same temperature year round. Well, that explains why those all those varanids from Indonesia are pretty hard to breed for yeah. them, except for the water monitor. Right. And that's because the water monitor has that stupid range where it's <laughs> clearly adaptable to all sorts of yeah. you know, mm -hmm, you yeah. throw whatever at it and it's just gonna be like, all right, I'm still gonna breed and produce anyway because yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like a generalist varanid right there, you know? Yeah, and the, generalist the, species the, tend to be the best in captivity. Oh, anyway. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. ones that live can live in close to human habitation, they can yeah. pretty mm -hmm. much survive anywhere. You know? yep. I, was, uh, I think it was Dave Kaufman put out a video on Puerto Rico. He was herping in Puerto Rico, and they had a they caught a wild retic in Puerto Rico. There's like a no population shit. of retics that had gotten – gotten out and i think it was like a drug dealer had a big you know retake the female or something and <sighs> he got busted and ran away and let his animals go so yeah good times but yeah you know, puerto rico is a problem that it that is. could easily be a real problem yeah yeah There's any island is just them. yeah, yeah. Has, uh, has those endemic, you know, endemic birds that a lot of them have, you know, become yeah. flightless because they don't need to escape predators because they're out in the middle of the ocean on an island. But yeah, yeah, any introduction of predators. But then again, most islands have been spoiled a long time ago by rats. Yeah, I mean, or, well, well we, 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 you know, we globally trade now. So I yeah. mean, it's just yeah. like, I, I mean, the, the idea of, you know, not letting wildlife move between borders, but yet all this trade happens. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. how do you think, how do you think muscles of foreign muscles got into the great lakes? Great lakes. Like, yeah. Come on, man. Like, yeah. use your, you know, it's just, exactly. It, it, and, and then they're, and then they're like, well, God, we couldn't, we couldn't possibly export any reptiles or anything <laughs> out of this country. What would happen if it got loose? Like, yeah. right. Yeah. Never mind. You know, 
Yeah, there. Yeah, and, and we are the greatest invasive species. <laughs> yeah, that we are currently aware of. That's that true. Has gotta, That's and that has got to be the butt of the greatest joke on the on the <laughs> since since the dawn of yeah. time, right? right? We're worried every about these invasive somebody, species. Yeah, every yeah. time I hear somebody, I mean, honestly, there are a lot of animals in South Florida that aren't supposed to be there, but yeah, I help. Uh, one of the biologists in the 90s I'm not going to name him because I don't know if he wants to be involved in that but the FWC biologist asked for my uh, assistance on locating a bunch of species he knew I was commercially collecting them for years and Mm -hmm. so I took him out spent some time he was a friend of mine and after he was done with the study they concluded that the vast majority of them and it was like 40 or 50 of them at the time um were not invasive and and as a matter of fact what they were doing was they were filling niches that were where the native species were wiped out by human Mm -hmm. development yeah yeah because they were all living in the city they weren't out in the everglades and Mm -hmm. i couldn't i mean i you could go out in the everglades outside of miami and not find a damn thing other than brown anoles that was the only non-native species that was really prevalent now the burmese are there Mm -hmm. now (laughs) yeah um, but they can't get out of there either. They're yeah. big. I'm sure they took a hell of a beating two weeks ago. With oh that yeah, that cold, the cold snap. Yeah. I wonder too if they're you know if they're adapting to that and and successive generations will be less and less susceptible to the those cold temperatures if they'll adapt. That's possible. Know? Yeah, feel, yeah, that is I mean, possible. Hopefully, I, I think they're mm-hmm. there to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but, I think um, that's 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 proven itself. You know, they're still yeah. around. But we had a, a, a research. Uh, scientist that was i think he was doing his phd on the burmese issue in in south florida and and was uh had kind of shown some data that made it look like there was i mean they were all kind of related early on and they it looked like they were radiating out radiating out from a central point and kind of led to the hypothesis that like one gravid female that was probably mean or something you know and the owner's like i can't handle this so we went and released it in the 70s in the everglades and that one event you know may have resulted in that radiation and an emergence of all these different uh invasive burmese spikes. yeah i mean that's it's entirely possible it's it's uh that is a problem no one should have ever released large constrictors that's That was going to kick our ass anyway. And who was preaching this stuff in the seventies? You know, <laughs> like we we barely well, yeah. knew how to keep a keep a no, reptile no, yeah. alive in the seventies. So yeah. yeah, it's it's hard to fault somebody back then. But and then there's na- but the you know there's also there's lot, there's natural disasters where yeah. we mm-hmm. get hit by yep. shit all the time. There's accidents. There's mm-hmm. you know there's a number of things. Well, accidents it, happen. That's just that. Yeah. Yeah. I had a buddy that was breeding chameleons in the southwestern, you know, part of the state in St. George. And and he got a shipment of roaches or something. And and like he got home and the corner of the box was all broken open and there were all these roaches crawling around. And you can still find that species, you know, just out cruising, you know, out in the in St. George. And they're completely introduced. But it's probably just an accident. You know, the box mm -hmm, got dropped wrong and now you got roaches. So. Yeah, it's kind of, we got to be careful. Well, 
and I mean, it is interesting. Like, so, you know, like you said, like, like the introduction of, of large invasive pythons happened that that's out of the box. Like that happened long ago. Right. right? So now we're reacting to, uh, you know, legislatively to something that's already happened. And so, so what, so, so we banned scrub pythons. So, so do you think if scrub pythons got loose in, in the Everglades, so now you have two large constrictors competing for the same food source, like somebody's going to win that. And whether it's the scrub python or, or, or the retic or the berm or whatever, you still have a neat, you know, a large constrictor filling a niche, mm-hmm. a nipper, I'm sorry, nipper, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, in the Everglades. So it's like, it, it's, it, you know, to me, it's kind of like, I, I, I understand biologists concern. I get that, but we're so far out of the box that, that this whole like thing just reeks of, of, you know, uh, it's so, it's so politically, uh, anti pet driven, that it, you know, and and the fact that you that that you see a lot of, you know, and I don't know, you know, maybe I, I mean, maybe this is an unfair thing, but you see a lot of fish and wildlife buying into this. And it's like, well, yeah, it gives us legislative, you know, regulatory power in order to make decisions that we want to. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like, you know, and and yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure funding is a thing. I'm sure, you yeah. know, there's a lot of. uh uh, of factors that have absolutely nothing to do with really actually regulating wildlife. Yeah. Um, if, if just the hypocrisy just drives me nuts, if, if you really want to make an impact on an invasive or a, you know, threat, you know, some kind of species that's not good anywhere, it's cats. I mean, until you're willing to say, hey, we're going to ban cats, you're, you got to ban cats before you ban just about anything else because that's because it's not about that. Yeah, yeah exactly. About that. It's, it's about, about the fixing a problem. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a tr- it's it's about getting funding, funding agencies. Yeah, that's absolutely. What it is. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. never let a crisis go to waste. Mm hmm. And, and, and it's about funding. Well, and, and, and the, fa- the, yeah. And the face of it can't be a furry mammal. Correct. That's not going. <laughs> yeah. Anywhere. You get too much shit from the grandmas and, yeah. Yeah. and, and everybody else out there that would crawl up your ass and, and, mm-hmm. and you get a, you get a black eye in the public. But if you convince them that these, these irresponsible reptile owners are dumping shit everywhere and it's causing a catastrophe. Yeah. I can promise you that, I mean, you can just look at what's done in Florida. They mm-hmm. banned green iguanas mm-hmm. that have been here the almost the entire. It's far back. You can find photos from the 1900s before there was really? a fucking pet trade here wow. of green iguanas when they were building the railroad down the Flagler Railroad. Uh-huh. So they were already here. Now, as now when I grew up in Miami when I was a little kid, they were all over the place. Yeah. Now yeah. that that was the 70s. And the pet trade was in, in full force by then, but they were always mm. there. Yeah. They go back forever, right? Yeah. So they ban them. But and everybody's like, and and the commercial collectors that were actually taking them out of the environment can now <laughs> no longer collect them. So you have to ask yourself, if the goal here was to get rid of an invasive species, why would you stop all of the people that are removing them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason is, well. You'll be hearing about it more as time goes mm-hmm. on because that is this what's going on here is a lot more than what's been told. It's that's mm-hmm. not conspiracy theory. You can if you look at what some of the info. Basically, there's environmental damage being caused here from something else, and 
it was it appears to have been driven by um, our government that oversees it has been spraying enormous amounts of pesticide into the waterways, causing these huge algae blooms, mm-hmm. these red tides on both coasts. They've been mm-hmm. killing manatees mm-hmm. and everything else. Well, guess who does that? That is completely done by Florida, Florida Fish and Game. That's mm-hmm. what they do. That's their yeah. primary job is they have all they spray these waterways well when all the sea life started to die a few years ago caught the attention of the environmental groups and Mm -hmm. they've been putting pressure on them to cut this out and if you look at the timeline right at the time that they're getting hammered by that all of a sudden they start looking at iguanas so i mean i mean if your job is to remove invasive plants Mm -hmm. And you, can, and you know that the time is coming where you're no longer going to be able to spray enormous amounts of toxic chemicals into the waterways. Well, you got to find some job security somewhere. Yeah. And you just transition from invasive plants to invasive reptiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're all over the place. Yeah. So that's why I'm sure that's why they went after the green iguana. I know that. Yeah. It sounds like a conspiracy theory, but if you dig into this little topic enough, you'll find all sorts of interesting things with enormous amounts of money yeah. um, being funneled into into this stuff. And no, I, it sounds it exactly like an environmental case study to me. It sounds like you know a, a bat, you know the 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 story that you would figure out like from you know uh, how how an agency behaved uh, when when we were dealing with environmental pollution before the start of the epa it's it's very like redirect yeah. redirect right. you mm-hmm. know blame right. yep. um it ah it's so yep. frustrating get it get, yeah. get it legal entanglements you know yeah, like you can't absolutely. you can't do it because you can't fight us because we have more money than you <laughs> that we right. got from you know raping and, and pillaging the land yeah. or whatever you know it's right so they made a boogeyman out of out of, a, of an industry yeah and and it's and so nobody's really looking at them while they transition over and now they're they're going to get you know i don't i don't even know what the budget is for something like that but they'll get probably the same amount of money they were getting mm-hmm. from the feds to take care of the plant problem mm-hmm. they'll just get it now to be they'll just transition to being iguana removers yeah mm-hmm. i can't think of any other reason that you would stop that that you would ban that animal i mean yeah. it just there's no it's, sense in it except for yeah maybe making and it money. primarily feeds on non-native plants <laughs> yeah, because right? that's, all of Florida is <laughs> all non-native plants yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. Uh, does that, it doesn't I mean <laughs> yeah that 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 doesn't sound as much like think, a conspiracy theory as <laughs> true yeah, theory no I know but yeah. in this day and age you know anything yeah. you say gets but I but I think as time moves forward you'll more of this will start to come out especially mm-hmm. once uh. Once they really start hammering, uh, uh, the environmental groups get their, mm-hmm. yeah, their the, lawsuits up. And there was a, another great example of that there was an invasive uh, water plant that was in a you know in choking waterways and stuff. But there the I guess it was um, you know people originally from Southeast Asia they they enjoyed eating that plant and so they would go in and collect it and use it for for a meal and. Uh, the, the apparently the a lot of these waterways were in a national park and so they said nope you, you got to stop you can't you yeah. can't collect that because you're taking something out of a national park and they're like yeah. well it's an invasive weed you know what's the what's the harm in that and i mean they were basically removing it for free for the government yeah. and they didn't have to pay a cent but they stopped it and now 
you know, the waterways are choked and there's nobody move, removing that plant unless they going in and spraying it or something like this. Yeah. I hate, I hate to tell you this, but you can just look (laughs) at wildfires in California and although it is climate induced, certainly the whole forestry management strategy that put all that Mm -hmm. fuel in the no chop, no, has exacerbated that. So, you know, in the management industry, mismanagement has been commonplace, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Well, we've we've gotten a little far filled of our of our topic, but I think that was really (laughs) a useful discussion for sure. I mean, I think it all plays, you know, plays into it. But I think, you know, overall, um, reptiles understand their environment and they will make, you know, reasonable choices. I think it's when they they start being, you know, introduced to uh, variables or, or conditions that they don't quite understand or haven't been evolutionarily programmed to understand yeah. where you start getting problems. So, you know, I, I, like you, like you said, you know, keeping things that come from an environment that, you know, you're from can be really helpful, especially if you're keeping, keeping them outdoors. Um, you know, that's, uh, definitely something to, to think about, but I think overall, you know, reptiles definitely do, do make good decisions for the most part. Uh, there's, there's certainly, some small instances or, or smaller number of instances where they don't make the best decisions. But so, yeah, I think, uh, reptiles in their environment are really smart and you kind of, you mentioned that earlier, you know, uh, intelligence and how we measure intelligence. And, you know, it seems like lizards might be, you know, more intelligent than snakes, but, you know, for their environment and what they need to do and what they need to get done, uh, you know, the, every, everything has a certain level of intelligence or it wouldn't be around anymore. You know, it wouldn't survive. Yeah, sure. So I think that's kind of how I'd uh, summarize our, <laughs> the, the topic of discussion today, but yeah, we're. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I yeah. think that's, uh, that's it. And I, I think this was, you know, for me, it was really a rewarding conversation. And I appreciate your insights because, you know, you've, you've been doing this a long time and you've got a lot of great insights. So I really appreciate, I appreciate you coming on and, and yeah, discussing thanks, this Ron. with us. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, no, me too. I, I appreciate you guys asking me. So, yeah, like well, I said, anytime, man. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll definitely we'll, have to have you back. Welcome I'm, sure anytime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of things you can you can uh, have really good uh, insights yeah. into. So thanks for doing this. Well, uh, we're thankful uh, for, for you guys listening and um, thanks to NPR Network. Check out their stuff, uh, ReliaPythonsRadio.com and uh, follow them on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that fun stuff. Um, a lot of a lot of cool shows coming out. Uh, I've enjoyed some of the more recent ones. They've been a lot of fun. Chuck's episode was a great example of that. He he got fired up and got some good discussion out of him on there. It's always, I, ha- I have my yeah. moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other good, good ones you've been hearing lately? Um, good Are podcast. Are you asking me? I, 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 I started listening to the second episode of the, the venom exchange podcast, Phil's podcast. Yeah. They're talking to the cloud King. Uh, yeah, I no, I saw that and I was like, oh man, I'm listening yeah. to that. But I, I at work, I I've got people pulling me ten different directions, so sure. I, I try to yeah. sit down and listen to stuff. But it's like I always get pulled away. So yeah. that's on my. I, I'm that is like the next podcast I'm listening to. So <laughs> yeah, gosh, I you know I don't know. There's so many cool reptiles, and you know, clobber eye are definitely one of those for sure. The, the yeah, rock rattlesnakes sure. are very yeah. cool animals, and I I'm just like after seeing the ridge nose rattlesnakes in Arizona 
really <laughs> I'm interested in those. They're so cool. Just really cool animals. And and I think the Cloud King keeps those as well. So very cool stuff. So yeah, check that out. Venom Exchange Radio, uh, Nipper and um, Phil do a great job on that one. Yeah. So, looks like they've got some cool guests lined up. So, well, lots of good content out there. Uh, but uh, again, thanks for listening to our Reptile Fight Club, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode. Remind your legislators to keep their head out of their ass. <laughs> Later. Later.